Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a golf course. 70 courses. Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Hey, y'all. I'm Tressie McMillan-Cottom, the co-host with Roxanne Gay of Here to Slay. And Roxanne and I have an excerpt for you to listen to. In this excerpt, you guys are going to hear about the connections between racism and fatness with Dr. Sabrina Strings. If you like what you hear, you can listen to full episodes by going to luminary.link slash slay. So how do we get here in the discourse? What are people saying when they are saying obese? It's a it's a dog whistle. It definitely is. And so yeah. for people who are unaware, obesity in America and often globally is defined as having a body mass index, which is a ratio of weight to height of 30 or greater. But Mm -hmm. one of the things I've been talking about a lot is that the major problem, one of the many problems with this whole obesity discourse is that the BMI as it was created in the 19th century by a European was never meant to apply to individual bodies. It was supposed Mm -hmm. to measure a population distribution exactly of weights in Belgium. And when we adopted it in the United States, it was not based on any form of empirical science. Mm -hmm. This is what is most troubling. It was one powerful white guy making stuff up. He was like, you know what? These insurance company standard weight tables, they're arbitrary. Mm -hmm. We can have our own arbitrary measure. Mm -hmm. We'll we'll have BMI. And then he was like, yeah, we'll just put like these biomarkers here, there, boom, boom, boom. Uh, it's, It's really concerning because it's being applied, as you've already articulated, to black populations in order to explain mm-hmm. our health outcomes, even though mm-hmm. there's no empirical science supporting the creation of these categories, and there were no evidence that there were people of color consulted or included in anything that amounted to the conclusions that mm-hmm. Dr. Ansel Keys drew. So we can see how it's just another mechanism of a powerful white scientist trying to discipline black bodies. And when we talk about disciplining bodies, one of the things that is um, not stunning to me, but it is emblematic of how we understand what black people are supposed to do and be. You know, we are supposed to be controlled. We are designed to be controlled, to be placed where it is to the greatest benefit of uh, white people, of power, of money, of capitalism or whatever. Um is how that trickles out into popular culture and it becomes this ruling idea. We read your uh, New York Times op-ed piece. You start with this story of meeting with a bunch of public health people. Mm-hmm. And these are the people who are responsible for the messaging, the way the public understands health and well-being. And there's some economists in the room, which that's always a mistake. But, but you're talking to public health and economists right. and <laughs> who just show up in the strangest places. Why are the economists ever even there? I usually don't know. And being asked, why are Black people sick? Yes. Tell us what happens next. So this is yet another example of powerful white scientists trying to create norms that apply to Black people. Effectively, I was invited to sit in on this a meeting of these high-profile scholars within the field of public health, and I was completely in awe. Mm-hmm. And then the things that they started saying were evidence of the fact that they knew very little 
about what happens on the ground mm-hmm. in black communities, much less how to treat and care for black communities. Mm-hmm. So they were just like, yes, you know, black people have some of the highest rates of prostate cancer and diabetes and, you know, obesity. And I, oh, gosh, why are black people so sick? <laughs> and so, you know, I just said, slavery. And, <laughs> and that's you can, the answer. <laughs> but that's yeah. the answer. And I said it deadpan just like that, you know, slavery. Yeah. And, you know, people were sort of, you know, sitting up in their seats and, you know, oh, like, what do we even do about this response? And because I think they were expecting me to elaborate or draw it back. But I just sat right. there like, OK, answered your question. And now let's move on to thinking about how we're going to address these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I think that they didn't really know how to grok what I was saying. But as I was talking about in my New York Times piece, we don't get to pretend like black Americans and white Americans began their journey in this country on equal footing. Black people Mm -hmm. started out as slaves. Mm -hmm. We were treated as if our lives didn't matter, except for as a form of commerce. And to the extent that our bare health, not optimal health, but simply barely keeping us alive was necessary Mm -hmm. for the reproduction of their profits. That was the extent of their concern about our lives. Not much has changed. And not much has changed since then. Mm-hmm. I'd also like to add, uh, there was one meeting that we had where they were like, why are black people poor? And I was like, lynching. Yeah, I've been in that meeting. <laughs> yes, I've been in that meeting. Yes, yeah, white yeah. racial violence. Exactly. White, yeah. white yeah. racial violence. Do you know violence. about Tulsa? And so, you know, they stopped inviting me after that one. I, yeah, I stopped getting invited to those things. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's an honor. It really is. It's an honor and a privilege to not be invited. Truly, yes. Because that's how you know that you've said something that's touched a nerve. <laughs> For sure. And this is a bit of a backtrack, um, but I just have to know, how did you come to this subject? Because I know why <laughs> right. I care about this subject. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but based on just looking at your face, why do you care about this subject? <laughs> That's a great question. And, you know, I'm happy to elaborate. Uh, so I'm what's considered a straight-sized ally to fat activism. Oh, I've never had straight-sized ally. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, and I'm proud to be that. Uh, however, that's not where I started this journey. I actually began this journey mm-hmm. interested in thin studies. You know, people don't think about thin studies very much anymore. But in the 80s and 90s, they were all the rage. You know, Susan mm. Bordo. Um, Naomi Wolf, you know, there were a lot of people. Oh, Kim yeah, Chernin. that's right. Yeah. I didn't know that term, thin studies, but you're, I read a lot of Naomi Wolf for the writing of my book. And you're right. There was this, she had this vein in her work. I had never thought of that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so they were concerned about articulating how the cult of thinness, as many were calling it, mm-hmm. like Roberta Seed, mm-hmm. uh, operated as a form of oppression for women. You know how mm-hmm. white feminists in the second wave were hitting us with that yes. women category. That was a catch all. Uh, <laughs> right. And so... <laughs> You know, I grew up reading these literatures, and then by the time I was in my early 20s, I started to see how this was really impacting not just white women, but a growing number of women of color. Mm -hmm. Um, I was working at an HIV medication adherence clinic where I interviewed a black woman and a Latina on the same day, and they each told me they were afraid of taking their HIV meds because they might gain weight. Yeah. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is a tremendous issue. The stakes are life and death. Yeah. Yeah. And what they're communicating to me is that they're willing to risk death in order to maintain their figures. You know, this is the kind of language that people use. Yes. And so that's how I came to this topic. Um, And it wasn't until I really dug into the history of thin valorization and fat phobia that I saw the connection between anti-blackness and Mm -hmm. fat stigma. 
You know, you you really touched on something that I've been thinking about for the past year. My mom has stage four lung cancer mm. and she has lost probably mm. 50 pounds and she was not fat to begin with. So like I, I every day I'm like, where is it mm. coming from? Oh, my gosh. And she's happy. She has never been yeah. happier, oh, like Roxanne. in terms of her body. She is just floating around wearing all the and it, every time she talks about it, like because my wife pointed it out to me, she was like, because I'm so worried about it. She's like, Roxanne, your mom is thrilled. And I just thought that's how pervasive mm -hmm. fat yeah. phobia is that you can be like fucked up. And losing a ton of weight, and you're like, mm, but that may be happening. But I'm mm -hmm. wearing a size two. Yeah. It's just and what's the value crazy. At the end of the day, I mean, if your health is exactly you know, definitely at risk, you know, then you find that you are yeah. joyous about the sort of a body size yeah. that's supposed mm -hmm. to, according to the medical establishment, um, be indicative of good health, right? So we can see all of the ways in which this is incorrect. Dunning right there is that. She, if she presented and someone didn't know about her cancer, if she presented to a healthcare professional, they would mark her as healthy mm -hmm. based simply on her weight. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, even in my own lifetime, I've thought, oh, I wish I would get a terrible disease that I would mm -hmm. survive, but that would just like knock off this oh, last hundred pounds. Yeah. It, yeah. It's crazy. It's right. just crazy. And because there are all of these ways in which people have known for years, for literal decades, that Oftentimes when individuals are slender, especially if they've been on these crash diets or, you know, smoking, they're engaged in unhealthy practices in order to mm -hmm. maintain these types mm -hmm. of figures. But rather than interrogating practices and histories that, you know, individuals biographies, people come into the doctor's office, they take their weight. And if it's above a certain weight, they say, now it's time for you to focus on losing weight. Mm -hmm. You know, effectively, the, I've noticed that the American medical establishment's approach to fat people is we care about the health of fat people. We just think it's important to eradicate fat people. <laughs> They'd be so much healthier. <laughs> right. If we could just eradicate fat people, fat people would be so much healthier. Damn, when you put it like that. It's very true. Shit. You know, I have a lot of medical trauma. And so I don't for a, a spell. And by spell, I mean a long time, I don't know, seven, eight years. Mm. I did not go to uh, the doctor unless it was critical. And um, only mm -hmm. in the last three years did I intentionally try to seek out and build like a medical team to go to the doctor regularly. And by then I had so much deferred like medical stuff. I spent two, three years. I'm still in the middle. Two or three years just sort of like rehabbing myself because yeah. I had been to the doctor in so long. And um one of those traumas, some of it was related to childbirth, but one of those traumas was related to how dismissive medical doctors were every time I showed up. I couldn't get medical care even when I did show up, mm -hmm. not for the thing I was presenting mm -hmm. for. Right. Right. Yeah. I would go in because I have a sinus infection. You literally can't get help for the sinus infection because they want to talk to you about your BMI oh, and like goodness. won't talk to you about anything else. Yeah until you sort of perform being totally embarrassed about how fat you are. And I'm absolutely going to take, and they'll give you that printout with your diet. And the diet is literally from 1968. Oh my goodness. It's like, you know, it's like cottage cheese and do two ounces of protein and, you know, no. but you have to take the material or else they won't treat you 
feeding into then the unhealthiness, mm-hmm. unhealthfulness of black people. We don't go because you treat us like we're sick and then we get sick and we did it. So what is this relationship to, we know like the, the big answer starts with slavery. Help us unpack how in the present medical industrial complex, mm-hmm. you know, how fat being so closely tied to our idea of race and unruly bodies, bodies that don't deserve health, mm-hmm. impact how we stay unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually, there's a lot to talk about there. And I think the first thing that we have to think about is, even though it's the mandate of doctors to take care of populations, oftentimes what happens in our context is that doctors are pressed for time, And they are concerned Mm. also, let's be honest, oftentimes about profits. So what kinds of things are insurance companies going to pay me for? And also, Mm -hmm. I only have 15 minutes with this person. Okay, insurance companies require me to, at the very least, take information about their BMI and they're overweight, so this is what I'm going to give them, and then I'm going to move on to the next person. So we think okay. about the questions of profits and the questions of limited time, but then there's also the question, obviously, of racial bias. One mm-hmm. thing that we have to keep in mind is that there are not enough African-American doctors to serve African-American patients within the United States. So then we mm-hmm. end up going to doctors who are not black, often white doctors, who even though on the surface, they want to treat all of their patients equally, in reality, they carry within them these internalized anti-black biases. Mm -hmm. And it's not as if they're necessarily cognizant of it, but they don't always treat black patients equally to the way that they treat white patients. Mm -hmm. So it might be a possibility that an individual could show up and have their background queried, find out about any family histories, really that they would dig into all of the factors that are driving them to appear at their physician's office. But unfortunately for too many black people, they don't take the time to figure out all of the things that might be going wrong. And so you come in, Mm -hmm. they treat you like you're simply a number, they tell you to lose weight, and then you leave. And what would be your motivation Mm -hmm. for returning Mm -hmm. in that instance? Yeah. Did a lot of doctor hopping precisely because of that. I'd have the doctor I'd go see for my allergy medicine, the doctor I would go see for birth control, the doctor because you just kind of, you know, you were cycling through them. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I avoid the doctor at all costs Mm. and... It's for the exact same reasons that Tressie avoided doctors and had medical trauma. And even now I struggle to go when I know I should. And I think about it a lot that then we are told that we have a lot of comorbidities. Mm. And it's like, yes, because I haven't been to the doctor in 27 years. Uh, I've been to the doctor. Yeah, because they're horrible horrible spaces. But they're so horrible. And I wonder, is there anything that will will shift how we think about fatness and health and the correlation there. And is there anything we can do? Well, I know that we're not the problem, mm-hmm. but what will it take for medical professionals to, to see us as human? I think what it really requires is a movement. And I think that there's multiple different facets of this. On the one hand, we need to simply get doctors to understand that taking a person's weight, calculating their BMI, is not sufficient to know something about their health outcomes. And so just eradicating the use of BMI in and of itself would be a tremendous leap forward, in my view. Okay. Because now there's not this one tool that they're applying to all populations. Yeah. Right? So to require yeah. doctors to be more holistic in their approach to treating mm-hmm. patients. But that isn't the only form of anti-blackness 
that black people are experiencing in the doctor's offices, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there is this whole kind of neoliberalism that runs through medicine, which suggests that people will be healthy if they take care of themselves. So if they eat right and exercise, they'll be healthy. And right. if they're not yeah. healthy, it must be because they're not doing these things that we know are proper. So uh-huh. even if we you know, were to remove BMI and other weight related measures as a consideration, it doesn't mean they won't still be anti-black in other ways. All right. You can listen to our full interview with Dr. Sabrina Strings and then a conversation with the luminous Sonia Renee Taylor about how the body is not an apology by going to luminary.link slash slay. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. 